Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 87, and uh, I know we joke sometimes that this time it's personal, but this is going to be a very personal and emotional one for both of us, covering uh, a very special period in Dax Riggs's career, otherwise known as Dead Boy and the Elephant Man from 2003 to 2004. We will explain and reveal much, much, much more once we get moving here. Uh, I want to do a little housekeeping we had quite a great last couple of weeks, you and I, Hunter, in terms of various things related to this podcast. First, the announcement of Hammers and Misfortune's next album called Overtaker, uh, which began as a band called Overtaker with a couple uh, guys, um, one or two guys, X Vector. Jamie Myers is back on vocals and they just decided to turn it into Hammers and Misfortune. And we got an email from John Cobbett explaining, and we kind of knew this, but now that it, that album's official and that band is resurrected, he reminded us that part of the reason that they're back is because of us. The episode we did on Hammers helped remind him that people out there do give a shit about that band and very much Unreal. so. So, Unreal. yeah, and, I mean, and, and, and to probably um, bring this to the attention of our listeners, Hunter again here, everyone, Jeff oh, Wagner's oh. always grateful co-host. Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't think introductions were important anymore. Because well, they weren't. I would, dude, I was literally <laughs> just saying that because I was reading some old Metal Maniacs issues yesterday and remembered how much I worship you. And how <laughs> glad I am to be one of your best friends and how grateful I am to be doing this with you. Oh, golly. Well, so anyway, there's that. Thank you. Thank anyway, you. Well, yeah. But, but I, I do want to bring to the attention now that you mentioned Jamie Myers, she has an amazing new band with Kevin Huffnagel from Dysrhythmia and Gorguts and Vara called Veldun. Yep. And I would urge everyone to check that out. And I am super humbled by the whole Hammers and Misfortune thing, because the first time I ever heard of Hammers and Misfortune, I was living with Tim and you and I were on the phone and you were telling me about them. And you said that if you had a record label, you would sign Hammers while Heaven Wept and Canvas Solaris. <laughs> yeah, well, and um, yeah. I remember you described them as amazing epic heavy metal and when i finally heard the august engine it was like shit this is everything that i imagined it would be so john cobbett we love you and we are genuinely humbled by this yeah indeed i i mean that that echoes my thoughts exactly and he's you know we're so happy that he's a, a regular listener. He's listened to every single episode. I, I think I think in the email he sent us last week, he said he was up to 79 and we were killing it. So I'm like, man, you know, that's that's even a, that's that's a cherry on top of this little cupcake. Yep. OK, next. Um, then we got an email, rather unsolicited email from Daniel House of Skinyard. I say unsolicited simply because I didn't reach out to them or try to find anybody in the band. 
to send them a uh, you know a link to the episode. Sometimes I'll do that with bands. Some of the bands I'm closer with, some I'm not. This one I thought, well, there's no chance. You know, they probably don't even care. Uh, we got a Daniel House, the bassist of Skinyard and the owner of CZ Records, contacted us, uh, sent us an email at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. You can write there too. Daniel House had a lot of nice things to say about the episode. Just I don't know. We were kind of blown away because that's that Seattle world is especially the early Seattle world of the 80s is, is a bit mythical and special for us. And and to hear from one of the prime movers of that world, man, we were we were psyched and touched. So thanks, Daniel House. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, we just appeared uh, last Friday, I guess, you know, well, by the time you listen to this, it'll be older, but you can always find heavy metallurgy on youtube this is a video podcast done by our friends marty rickonen and alan colson i go way back with both of those guys and i and i love them and you've recently become acquainted with them i mean you knew marty forever hunter but uh i mean yeah more, like more uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've known marty um since he started at maniacs in the I guess it was like the six feet under episode or episode. Oh, hey, this is where we are these days, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the six feet under issue of Metal Maniacs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I like have uh, bought countless records on his recommendation and uh, gotten to Worm Gear shortly thereafter. And yeah, and I'm, uh, yeah, I feel like I've known Marty forever. And after I met Alan, kind of felt like I knew him forever too. There's oh, he's amazing, right, yeah. amazing guys. Yeah. So heavy metallurgy. Uh, we talked with them on their uh, latest episode. I can't remember which number it is, seventy-five or something. Uh, you might want to look it up if you're interested. But Hunter and I go on and on with those guys for about three hours regarding the links between prog and metal, and and really a lot of recommendations to metal fans if they want to start, you know, dabbling in prog. Um, and deep delving as well. So that was a ton of fun. If you want to contribute to our cause, we want to make new shirts. We want to restock canvas CDs. I am in the midst of trying to get the rights to Mean Deviation. And um, I'm also going to re reprint Soul on Fire. We're going to have a ton of new stuff and updates on the Radical Research shop. Uh, but if you want to support any of our endeavors in terms of hosting that, <laughs> yeah, my um, uh, mine and Thomas Clark's magazine, Deserts of Hex, will, will also yep. be uh, available exclusively through Radical Research. Yeah, so the store is going to be seeing a, an uptick in a few months, but uh, it all it all costs money to either buy wholesale or to print or to certainly uh, the, the hosting costs and things like this. So we would really like to uh, have you donate if you wish no pressure. Uh, our PayPal ID is radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Also, there's still a lot of interest in the Fates Warning book. I, I continue to get asked where people can find it. That's probably because I'm a horrible marketer, uh, but I try. But you can find that at fateswarningbook.com. Okay, let's get into Dax Riggs. Let's get into Dead Boy. I believe we probably would do right by just covering briefly the history of dax riggs sure he, st he started out in a band called golgotha which basically turned into acid bath uh they are they hailed from louisiana let's talk about acid baths for a second i was never all that convinced by the first album i like the second album okay there were parts of the of each album that i loved and you know in hindsight knowing what a huge dax fan i am 
those those were the songs that had a little more of his clean voice the things that you could look at as a precursor to what he would do later however those two albums um you know they're no slouches i just i don't find them as as legendary as most people do curious what your take is on those i have a tough time with when the kite string pops always have and thought that maybe later on i would grow into it still really haven't i think it's kind of a mess mm. with some interesting things it's a mess um, it is a mess pagan terrorism tactics same thing and and i'll tell you this so i bought uh pagan terrorism tactics when it came out on the recommendation of sue Knowles, and i found about a month later in a record store in North Carolina, um, a copy of the singles version of Pagan Terrorism Tactics. Oh, I, oh, I still have. Are you talking about radio edits? The radio edits, yeah. Ah, well, that's that's what I want to get to, but go well, ahead. And, and so that is the version that I cottoned to because <laughs> that's the version that really revealed for the first time, in my opinion, how special a vocalist Dax Riggs is. Yeah. I, I saw Acid Bath with Punch and Stench and Brutal Truth in Pennsylvania somewhere in the mid 90s. I remember being really, really taken by Dax live. He was, it was a different um, uh, personality and character than you get when you saw it, when you would see Dead Boy. He, th- he had one hand shoved deep down in, his, in one of his pocket, pants pockets and was just like, you know, just doing that. Just and he has a formidable, extreme voice, no doubt about it. I'd never not liked it. He he can roar, man, and and he was killing. Uh, and of course, during the clean stuff, he was impressive, and people were like, "Whoa, what what the fuck? This guy is <laughs> this guy's definitely a, a a bit special." So they were they were really great. But yeah, for me, I'm also with you. And this is funny. I I don't know how many acid bass would say fans would say this but like i prefer the edits cds there's one called just simply edits um it's got some eyeballs on the front drawn by richard ramirez the serial killer uh, that was always asked the best thing too was to have their art um, <laughs> yeah. supplied by serial killers but the edits for the first album this just brings out all the great stuff about that side of acid bath i mean you have bones of baby dolls scream of the butterfly that sort of thing and then you get into the one you're talking about. It's called Radio Edits, um, which is for the Pagan album. And it's a little bit longer. It's got Dead Girl, Bleed Me an Ocean, Venus Blue. God, dude, Bleed Me an Ocean. Venus Blue with shit. And then a version of Venus Blue with no shit because they were radio edits. So that's kind of funny. Yeah, Bleed Me an Ocean. But both of these radio edits um, CDs, like you say, you know, they really brought out uh, the things we ended up loving about Dax's projects that would come. So that gets us to Agents of Oblivion, which is not a band I latched onto when it came out simply because I was, I don't know, I, I still love those edits CDs, but I really, I just, I don't know. It, it, it had a low profile. I didn't think much about it. I didn't buy it right away. But when I got into Dead Boy, I went back and I think it's one of the greatest albums in my collection. I love that Agents of Oblivion album. Oh, I love it too. But also, um, it, it just passed right by me. I mean, I remember seeing, you know, a couple of advertisements for it, but I I, I don't know, man. Um, I I guess I didn't love Acid Bath so dearly at that time that I would have just 
pursued something else just because Dax was on it. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't until the fateful mail day in, <laughs> I believe, March of 2002 when everything sort of coalesced. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, but I think we've both come to, I, I mean, I have come to love. Oh, I, love, I absolutely love that. Record. I mean, absolutely song, love it. song after song after song is great. It also features Mike Sanchez from Acid Bath on guitars. So there was a link there. But that's a very, very special, very overlooked record. I um I I haven't actually looked into this, but I I assume that that could be uh had fairly cheaply um via discogs. I think so. I yeah, I don't yeah. know either. I don't know either. They were on rotten records for all of these releases, and we'll kind of get into that because that they're the, how they were bound up with with rotten records after the fact. Uh, after the breakup, after Audie Petra's death, all, all of that stuff uh, was really kind of tough for them and tough for Dax. And it's basically how I got to know Dax. Um, again, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's that's part of the story, though. One thing I want to urge listeners to do either now or after th they listen to this episode is check our show notes. I happened to cross a live video version of uh, Evil Between the Numbers. Uh, a dead boy song from this era that we're featuring on this episode. That is, you have to, you have to see him sing this stuff as well as listen to it. There's something so much so special about watching him deliver it and watching it, just watching him channel this stuff. I, I it's magical. It always has been for me. And I watched this and I hadn't watched any Dax live for a long time. And it just sent chills down my spine the entire time. So that's Evil Between the Numbers. I think we're going to listen to that song. This is from a recording uh, made live at the Grant Street Dance Hall in Lafayette, Louisiana, January 24th, 2004. Some of this stuff is live. Most of this stuff we're going to play live. It, it, it's um, it's basically bootleg quality, but not, not bad quality. We've been listening to it repeatedly. Uh, yeah, about 20 years now. Because it's all we got, but it also is listenable enough. This is evil between the numbers, and we'll we'll come back and talk a whole lot more decks. What do you see when you close your Say, 
So we could just stop there. We did start that something that with something that's a bit untoppable. Uh, <laughs> I th- I'm glad we have such a good recording of that one. I'm glad it's still, as far as I know, the original Dead Boy Band. And again, more background: they recorded an album that, as Dead Boy and the Elephant Men in 2002 called "If This Is Hell, Then I'm Lucky." Uh, self-released, incredible album. And then a second one in 2006 by a very different dead boy, which we will we'll, we'll bridge that gap as we go along here. I find that song to be a, just as emotionally riveting as any that I know of. Mm. Same. Uh, yeah. Um, I just don't know what to say. <laughs> it's almost tough to listen to it. it, it it's, it's, it's moving. It's moving. I, I, it's hard to come back on and, and try to uh, do an episode and talk and, and, and be all cogent. When I'm I don't know that. I don't know that that's this kind of, I don't know that that's this episode. Yeah. This I is, think this episode is you and I exposing the world to the magic of Dax rigs that very, very few people know, because I, I honestly, like I went back over all these songs the last couple of days and I, I almost have nothing intelligent to say about them. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they they speak for themselves. Yeah, they really do. I'll, we'll throw out some fact and and certainly my personal story yeah. with that with meeting and knowing Dax for a while uh, in this era. But other than that, yeah, we're here to listen. And these are the, we're going to play all full songs uh, because nobody, as far as I can tell, owns these. I don't think anybody would sue us for doing so. And if they want to bring it on, it'll bring more uh, attention to Dax. And if it's Dax himself wanting to sue, hey. Good to hear from you, Dax. You've been gone for 12 years. <laughs> uh, this next tune is going to be about a year earlier from the Spanish moon in Baton Rouge, of course, Louisiana, uh, April 25th, 2003. This is a song called Filling Empty Holes. Listen to the end of this one. I kept the audio in of the guy who I believe recorded this. Um, he was a massive Dax fan. And uh, his voice for me, and I like, after 20 years, I feel like I know this guy. Yeah, and I and I forget his name, and I'm really sorry yeah. that I forget. But um, my 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 previous partner Tanya met him uh, when she went down to first meet and see Dax. Um, that's a story I'll get into in a little bit too. But um, essentially, this guy was very kind to Tanya and uh, kind of showed her the ropes of the city, filled her in on a ton of information about Dax because he was quite elusive, even though we had made contact. Mm. And at the end of this uh, snippet, he's telling a guy in the audience how uh, the song was written for Audie Petra, the bassist for Acid Bath, who was killed, um, also killed along with his parents by a drunk driver in January 1997. Apparently, Dax sang this one at Audie's funeral and rarely, rarely played it. Um, sometimes Dax would play solo shows around this time, apart from Dead Boy, and sometimes, obviously, it was Dead Boy. Rarely played song called Filling Empty Holes. Thank you. 
That song is about the bass player who died in acid bath. Oh, really? Yeah, he's never, he's only played that twice. He's only played twice. Yeah, it's really rare. He, one of the times was at the dude's funeral. I think that might have been the first Dax solo, like post, if this is hell, song that I heard. Mm. Um, it was mm. either that one or Stranger to Reason, but I want to believe. So, and I'll, I'll tell my story about, well, we'll get back into the earlier story later, but my story with the recordings that we're going to play tonight, Canvas played a show in Raleigh in 2003, and you and Tom Haley came, and uh, you brought me, I think it was two CDs of Dax. So the, the, these shows, basically, yeah. that you and you and Tanya had, you know, been to and um, gotten recordings of, and uh, Chris rushing my great friend and uh guitarist in canvas layers and uh, who was not in canvas layers at the time and then ben simpkins who um also uh one of my dearest friends uh, who was the bassist and guitarist in canvas layers at the time um the three of us drove back from raleigh to georgia that night and we just played those cds and i tell you man hearing that you know, in the middle of the night on a desolate highway. <laughs> uh, I, I've never been able to divorce myself. I mean, I've listened to these songs. I can't tell you how many times, mm -hmm. but I've never been able to divorce myself from that first experience. It was, it was really genuinely moving. Indelible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think obviously it's powerfully, you know, it's emotionally powerful music. And if you connect with it, it's deep. But I also, there's something about his lyrics too that are so vivid and, and poetic and uh, multi-interpretational. I mean, this is this is one artist where I'm like, yeah, the lyrics are as good as the songs themselves. I mean, his, his, his writing, uh, his, his way of putting words together. It's just, it's um, to call it. I can't wait to talk about Jelly Roll. <laughs> that yes. that one that That's literally one of the greatest lyrics uh, that I've ever heard. Oh yeah, so, well, but 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 agreed. Every Dax song, is, yeah, yeah. Every song has it has uh, several lines that I'm just that I just think are like, oh wow. Yeah, I mean that's that's a magical uh, piece of lyric writing. Uh, so. It, you know, Agents of Oblivion came out in 2000. This was this band and this guy was pretty much off my radar in 2001. I had just moved to Virginia from Maniacs. Every aspect of life was different other than, you know, music being there and Tanya being there at the time. We were both working for Century Media from home. And she had for a long time and I just got a job. And a gentleman named Life Jensen, uh, who now or for a long time has been part of clandestine music with Eula Garrett. Uh, they do various things in the industry, contractual stuff, uh, deals between band and label, et cetera, et cetera. 
life apparently i'm going to assume was a big dax acid bath agents fan he sent us a thing just labeled dax rigs 2001 i think is what it was just a cdr to tanya and and she threw it in and then she wherever i was she came and was just like you got to hear this do you know this guy i'm like i was like yeah i know about acid bath i love the the edits and that's all i knew and uh (laughs) and i'd seen him you know but 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 we, we we took a listen and it just couldn't believe um how good it was and this is the what is actually the dead boy and the elephant men demo of 2001 you can look that up on discogs and see i actually that. prefer it to the album I, and i still do I, I i i like i like it all equally i think but i understand what you're saying um there there is a, a stripped down beauty to it um uh but anyway I don't know if life didn't know the name of the band or he just didn't write it on there, but um, we had no idea it was called dead boy and the elephant men. And there's also a song called theme on uh, that demo that has a refrain that invokes the name of the band dead boy and the elephant men, but it's sung in such a way that we didn't pick that up. Okay. So we didn't, we didn't know anything, Uh, but we were always curious about that line. We could not figure it out. It just, I just, we couldn't decipher it for some reason. So, this is this is kind of wild. Um, we're deeply, deeply getting into Dax. We're understanding um, through our connections that he is bound to Rotten Records and can't release anything. Uh, and with life being at Century Media or very much tied into Century at the time and me and Tanya being tied in, we were like, we have to get this out somehow, all this music, this dead boy thing. Well, we I, again, at the time, didn't know it was dead boy. Cause a few weeks went by. We just, I just didn't know, but we're starting to understand this. We started to learn this for, I don't know how we learned it. We didn't talk to Dax yet. We hadn't t- certainly hadn't talked to rotten, uh, but we found this out. Um, so this became our mission. Okay. Before I get to the mission, I was taking one of those afternoon naps that you rarely take, but when you wake up from them, you're, you're feeling both refreshed and a bit disoriented. Cause it's just, it just, I don't know your, the, your nights be getting now. And um, I had to take, I had to take a nap at some point uh, this one day. And she comes running up after, I guess, um, having some, either doing a Google search or uh, uh, having talked to Life uh, about this demo that we were obsessed with. And she comes into the room and I'm just like in the middle of a deep, deep sleep. And she's like, dead boy in the elephant men, dead boy in the elephant men. And I was like, and she's, she's not really like that. Like her personality would generally not have her like yelling like that um, or being that demonstrably excited. Like, you know, she's no. chill. and she comes in, dead boy in the elephant, dead boy in the elephant, man. And, and, and she was, and, and, and I woke up and I thought I was still dreaming because I was seeing her saying this weird fucking thing. And I was like, what, what's dead? What's the elephant? Man? What? Like what? <laughs> and then I finally come to, and she said, that's the name of the Dax Riggs band. And and instantly we were like, because that's intriguing. I love that name. That 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 really got us going. So that was a weird thing. Um, fast forward the next few months, we start to get in touch with Dax uh, through various connections and, and understanding that yes, indeed, he can't put it shit out uh, because Rotten owns him and he hates Rotten. They have a terrible relationship. Uh, it was a terrible contract. And um, we just thought that was the hugest shame in, in music history that we'd ever heard of at the time, right? We were just we were just incensed. And, you know, knowing the business and knowing how shitty it can be and how it can work, we, and I would say even more so, Tanya, got on a mission to get this guy out of his contract and make something happen. So, you know, Dax, uh, I don't think he trusts easily, but he 
finally warmed up to her and us and we um we started we started working on it and and trying to get the rotten contract and looking at it we finally got it and we were uh contacting lawyers and we were paying out paying out of our own pocket actually for for some legal help on this so that's kind of how it all started and then she went down initially to meet him and then met this guy who you know recorded all these shows and all that that i mentioned earlier she came back up we decided to take a trip down to marid town to the south for a number of reasons um and one of them, we we decided to make a stop in Meridian, Mississippi, in I guess 2002 to see Dead Boy Live, and it was an utterly mind blowing experience. Um, you and I saw them live the next year, and it was good. But I'm going to tell you, it it unfortunately <laughs> Meridian was a one of those magical ones, <laughs> um, but it was great. And and yeah, so so um, one thing led to another, and uh, we ended up staying with him in Huma a lot. Louisiana, Huma, H-O-U-M-A, or Homa. Is it Homa? I always said Huma, but okay. um, I don't know. Little town. Um, yeah, south of New Orleans. Yeah, you just walked in and his living room was just a bunch of records and, and a gear and just his little practice room and where he spent most of his time just either listening to records or making music. And this was in the transition of the stuff that we're going to play in this episode into the period of dead boy where he really stripped down really went rootsy uh and really was something that you and i and i think a lot of dead boy fans really didn't respond well to um mm -hmm. so so it, he was in this transition it was really interesting to get to know him um i would call him quite guarded but also it, it's really just more like a deep deep shyness um i would almost call him childlike yeah, um, yeah. And when when i met him yeah um, yeah it just had this, yeah, it's it's it, the rather complex personality because, yeah, it, it was shy, but also it, it just seemed like he was in this dreamlike state, kind of yeah. like almost like disconnected from the world. Oh, definitely. No, he was, there was always a distance yet. You know, we took a road trip from Homa to um, New Orleans and uh, went to a record store together and that, you know, he can, became really animated. I mean, it's just, you know he's an artist he lives for music it's 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 what he knows and loves yep. um and uh everything else is just um he, you know human imperfection as we all have but ultimately i came away from there going yeah i don't i don't think he he probably opens up or trusts anybody very easily but i also think that he's the sweetest guy on the on the planet in a way you know what i mean yeah um harmless and so yeah so all of that to say that uh, I had an interesting connection with him for a few years. It finally got worked out with Rotten, but it was through different means. The way we were trying to do it just wasn't working. And um, I think they gave him the, uh, the, the, the Asabeth demos that came out as a official release a few years ago. I think they gave him that and then he let them go. And if we had known it was going to be that easy, but, but honestly, I think, I think what happened was something with, I don't know, Fat Possum, the, the label he eventually signed for, for the second Dead Boy album and for um, his solo albums. Something happened there too, um, that they were able to make it work. So um, anyway, it, it was it was not, it, you know, a failure on our part. We, we had amazing experiences and we tried. Um, and we're glad that he got free. Speaking of 2004, which is when I went down to, um, we went down to stay with him. Um, he made a demo. And this is a very transitional area because this is still really good stuff, uh, different than what the, all this live stuff is that you're going to be hearing. 
do you have anything to say about these like never mind the scenery and wicked tongue some like yeah I, i've always felt like some of these songs have been haunted by danzig four. Oh yeah that's a really good comparison for sure um I, I i don't know why and i mean it's not i mean it's not really a one-to-one but every time i listen to these things i just think about like the darkness and the weirdness of danzig four and i and i know like you know like verifiably that he was a huge misfits fan um it, it, oh yeah love danzig um that so, dead boy dead boy does a great cover of skulls oh my god super slow down it's like yeah it's like yeah. leonard cohen <laughs> doing uh yeah misfits or something yeah um but yeah I, but but i always always heard that for some reason yeah uh i can hear well let's check them out They're, these are two demos from 2004 never mind the scenery it's only bleeding and another song called wicked tongue
hear this i hear the work of someone who has absorbed this history of dark music that runs from towns van zandt to nick cave to swans and beyond um yeah it, it, like th it, it, this is a a learned music you know th this is the work of someone who not only has this incredibly strong identity but also an identity forged through the time that he has spent with all these other legends. Well, yeah, I, and I was talking about his music room earlier, the living room. And um, yeah. I remember going through some of his records and man, it was, it was um, a really eclectic mix. 
a really wide span, uh, a lot of stuff I didn't know, but a lot of stuff I did. And, and everything you said, Towns Van Zant's a good one. I remember, is it, it's either John Cale or JJ Cale. Who, who's the more? No, it's probably John Cale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had that. It was in the, yeah. John Cale was in the Velvet Underground. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, when Dax got into the Lou Reed thing, which, you know, you and I don't care for it, but like you can, you you know, you know what Dax got out of that. And I can see that. I, I, I'm going to go one step further and say that I have a, an entirely like hostile relationship with anything that Lou Reed's a part of. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> see, I would say that too, except he co-wrote a few songs on Kisses the Elder uh, through uh, the connection with Bob Ezrin. So um, that's fine. You, yeah, you, you, you hold to that. And, okay. and, and everyone has, you know, our email, you know, send your, send your missives uh, directed at me. The, the moral of that story is you and I need to finally one day sit down and listen to Kisses the Elder together. I you know, I've never heard that album. I think you would absolutely love it. I um, hope so. Yeah. I know how much you love it. Oh yeah, no, and, and you Marty know Rickon had just said that it was his favorite Kiss album, and you know that it's a very, very, very different album for Kiss. So, and I also know that you and Pellet missed a very important exit on an interstate <laughs> because of that album. So uh, maybe well, I do let, need to hear it. Let me explain. We we started uh, just to keep ourselves awake. Uh, I was just moving to New York uh, for the Maniacs gig and, and driving back with him to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and um, to keep ourselves awake after a very long day of moving and driving in fucking Manhattan, a van that, you know, that, that's always stressful. We started to, we started the elder, uh, we were going to go A to Z with it, uh, acapella, because we know it so well. So we just started singing it together and and keep, we kept going. And by the third or fourth song, we were like, ah, oh, shit, what are we doing in Delaware? You know, like it was like the <laughs> such a wrong turn, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, back to, uh, back to dead boy. I wanted to throw out another anecdote when I stayed with Dax, um, Mike Sanchez from Agents and Acid Bath came over at one point and they just kind of sat in the music room and started banging out some things. This is the one thing I think Dax did that he knew we really wanted to hear. I think we were bugging him about it, Agents and just, you know, we were cool. Like we knew how to act around people. We weren't like starstruck, but it was like we were we were fans. Right. <laughs> so we're like, we're sure. talking a lot. We're talking a lot of agents that the four days that we stayed with him and um and he got Mike over on the last day and they did Wither uh, acoustically together from the Agents album. And we were just talk about withering hearts. We, we were just like, oh, my fucking I can't I can't believe this is happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then they tried a little bit of Big Black Backwards, the last mm. song on the album. And uh, then just had a lot of fun jamming to stuff. It was um, it was a pretty, pretty special moment. Uh, we're going to jump back into the live stuff. This is a song called Thing in a Jar from new orleans april 18th 2003 i think after we get back from this one we'll talk about when you and i saw dead boy in new orleans around that time uh yeah yeah a little bit before that but yeah for sure yeah. all right man
<laughs> that that was going to be my response. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I love living here. I love these songs so much. <laughs> what can I say? There's nothing more to say. We we can talk about when you and I went down to see Dead Boy uh, shortly after I saw them in Mississippi. We, the uh, kind of stupid ass thing that only young people would do. I was thinking like I, that would be so daunting to, I mean, you and I get Oh my God. No, Jeff, should. it wouldn't be daunting. It wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Like you literally like had that was the first time that you came and hung out with with all of us. Yeah. And then on a whim on I God, I don't even remember what day it was on. But anyway, it was like the night before, like, hey man, uh Dead Boys playing in New Orleans tomorrow. Oh, that was a whim. Go. That was a whim. I forgot it, it was, was a, a total whim. whim. And uh, yeah. yeah, you showed up at um at my place you know where, where tim and i lived and at like seven in the morning we drove from from statesboro to new orleans which is like nine or ten hours or something <laughs> with the with the time change i remember we we ate dinner and we went and watched dead boy and the next morning we got up and drove back the only thing I remember about the road trip on Diamond the Head was stopping at the Diamond Head exit because I guess there's and a. You know what? I have I have those pictures. Yeah. Um, and I will try to scan those and maybe we can upload those to the Radical Research site because that that's really like the um, that's the first time that we hung out. I think outside of like that Prague Power time. Yeah, you hadn't come to my house yet. I had not. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, really special memory and of stopping for that. Yeah. And throw that diamond head picture on the um, I, uh, Instagram as well. I'll throw it on the Facebook. We okay, basically yeah. got out uh, and took, you know, metal pictures in front of the big diamond head sign. We stopped on the interstate to do this because you have to, you know, it's fucking diamond head. So what state is diamond head in? It's in Mississippi. Mississippi. And apparently it's like, um, like literally like a, a jewelry capital i learned this i i actually oh interesting really well worked with a guy yeah I, I actually worked with a guy who um grew up in jackson okay and was telling me about the history of diamond head so it like yeah it's name yeah it gets its name honestly appropriately named yeah yep um we saw the show, we were walking back to the hotel or wherever we stayed. And um, we realized there was, um, I, I guess it was just gay weekend there. I mean, you know, you could, I mean, New Orleans has always been open that way, but um, it was like a convention thing. And you and I, were it, was, it was, it was, um, it was Labor Day weekend. It was Labor Day um, weekend. Yeah. 2002. And I remember, I remember you, you said this to me, you looked at me and you said, I think that you and I are the only two guys here together who aren't together. <laughs> right. And I, I remember when we were in the bar where we saw Dax, yeah. there was a guy who was roughly oh, my dad's age yeah. and size. And he was like dragging around um, by a dog chain, this very young kid who was in a diaper. But, but it appeared consensual. It was oh just, no 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 no! Hey, look, man. Hey, look, that's dude. How, just how they roll. No 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 judgment, man. Like, no, it, look. It, in in my view, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you do anything you want to. Right. Like, but it was, I, it was, I am. I look. Your your choice is your choice. It, However, 
I, I have to say that like taking a sip of my beer and turning around and seeing that, I was like, damn, we're in New Orleans. Yeah, it was a little strange. And, which is like, yeah. by the way, probably my favorite city in America and probably largely because of the freedoms that one has in New Orleans. Oh, absolutely. And while the history, the beauty of the garden. Oh, God, birth. and the food. The cemeteries, the food. I mean, you, you everything. name it. You know, everything. Everything. So we had a really nice time. Uh, Dax played great. You got to finally see him sing, which is yep. magical. You know, how, how many chills did you get that night as he opened his mouth? Oh, I mean, I, you know, it was it, it was kind of mythical. You know, it like, and I, I guess I had it was a gestation period of about eight months between when I heard, you know, the Dead Boy demo and when i got to see him in person and i mean i had built up like that just this this entire world around dax Riggs before seeing that and i mean yeah get i mean and like you know we should probably say you know we were like two of the few people in the bar actually there to see him so we were right we were you know i mean right in front of it yeah sitting at a table right in front and i mean it was like yeah it was like having you know alan parsard like fix dinner for you like for the two of you you know and with no distractions it's like it was amazing i think that's what made the difference for the first show i saw and at this time i still didn't we we, we knew each other dax and i but it wasn't we hadn't we hadn't quite gotten there where we got the next year with him you know what i mean uh with our relationship so I know we're bouncing around the timeline here and it probably doesn't matter to most listeners, but um, for me, it's actually kind of important to reconstruct this because it's, yeah, sure. it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a blur of, of Dax Riggs for a couple of years there for me. But the Meridian show that I saw like a few months prior to that, uh, when we went down South, just for that and other things, it, that was spe- more special because now I think the band played better, but everybody was there to see him. And we all sat in this, ba- in the back, in the back room of a record store, pretty sizable little dog oh, cool. um and we all sat on the floor and they just played for us and they just played beautifully and everybody was there to see him you had you i mean you could tell you had fans that were there from the acid bath days that were just like crying it, I mean, it was just amazing you know and so that was that helped with the indoctrination certainly <laughs> yeah i'm um, sure man and yeah. i'm just yeah so th- yeah thanks for helping with the timeline because I, I forgot i forgot we went on a whim i just <laughs> So we, yeah, man. Uh, long, long trip. I would uh, never do that. We, 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 we had we had a good time. Um, let's let's listen to two more live tracks. These are from one of my favorite live recordings that I of the ones that I have. This is Grant Street Dance Hall in Lafayette, January twenty fourth, two thousand four. Two songs: "Fly on the Eye of the Lamb" and a song that I've always called "Burn Before You," but I recently learned was actually uh, called "Sigh of Wolves." Uh, we're going to listen to both of those. These are just a fucking badass title. Sigh of Wolves. I want to form a band called Sigh of Wolves. I may actually like, like a 2003, 2004 Dax Dead Boy tribute band, like where we where we just play these songs. <laughs> yeah, it, it, here's the only problem. Uh, you don't have Dax. Oh yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. There, there's a reason I play instrumental music, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's this it's this it's the same reason there's not a Watchtower cover band, <laughs> right? Yeah, you don't you don't have those guys, you know. Oh wait a minute, I could do that. Well, you could, but um, try to get somebody to sing like Techio. We get he's around. Okay. See, uh, yeah. 
I st- I'll see what I, he's doing. I, hey, look, man, maybe after this, I'll uh, buy him a beer, ask him how they got together, and say, hey, man, you want to jam? All right. There's a fly on the eye of the lamb down in the field, and I wonder how it feels to be down
That stuff is uh, so great. Again, I'm rendered speechless and just want to give anecdotes rather than um, sully those songs with our words. <laughs> I think it might be better just to 
let the music speak for itself. Oh, always, um, always. Yeah. Sigh of Wolves, though, I will say, I, I am normally, like with Dax and Dead Boy, completely focused on him. That's a rare one where the music actually sort of dominates Dax. Oh, sure. I, and I, yeah, and actually, um, there's that organ moment or organ part in Fly on the Eye of the Lamb. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That I think is central to that. So, yeah, I mean, every now and then you will be pulled away from the voice. And that's a really interesting point, man. I've never, you know, I, I guess I've always thought of uh, agents and Dax Solo, the, the dead, all the dead boy stuff is just being Dax featured and, right. and, and then music to make the, you know, to make the songs go. Uh, it's, it's interesting uh, if the ear ever gets pulled into another direction that happens a little bit on theme from the, from the dead boy, first dead boy album, where you have a, a sort of an elongated prog like arrangement and there's more, right. mu there's more music there too. Yeah. Really good point. I, I also want to say again, with, with his gift for lyricism and, and poetry and putting a few words together, I love the song title Fly on the Eye of the Lamb. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, poetry is about the figuration of language. It's about the power of metaphor and it's about the power of imagery. And what could be more visual than that title? <laughs> oh, totally. You know, every, yeah. every time that I come across that title, I mean, it's impossible to ignore, you know, the whatever image comes into your mind there. Yeah. And it, I don't know if you've ever read Nick Cave's book and the ass saw the angel. I, I, of course I have. And I've, I've read it three times. It's one of the rare books I've read three times. It's one of my top probably 10 pieces of fiction. Um, but it flying the eye of the lamb reminds me of that. It takes me into that world of, of, of that mm -hmm. book uh, somehow. Um, and having read it, I don't know if you can see that, but um, that's where. Yeah, I well, I mean, it like, and it, you know, I would say that uh, Dax's poetry is haunted also by the darker recesses of Southern fiction, from you know Flannery O'Connor and um, Faulkner, Eudora Welty, and all that was a huge inspiration to Nick Cave in that book too. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's a lot of you know shared influence. Absolutely, and it's no wonder, and it's and and, and a beautiful bit of happenstance or or, or uh, fate, if you want to go that route, that Dax is from the South. Dax's music couldn't be from anywhere else but the nowhere. South. Nowhere, and uh, I, I think that's one reason that it resonates with me so powerfully is because I. I hear Dax's music and I hear home. I hear there's something very yeah. complex yeah. and very beautiful and very, I mean, it, it, the South is a, a, a strange and beautiful and also shameful and complicated place. Mm -hmm. um, and to, to absorb all of that history and then to, sort of transmute it into a song is a difficult and brave thing to do. And I think Dax does it as, as well as anyone's ever done it. Have you ever walked through Bonaventure Cemetery listening to this stuff on headphones? Oh, oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> I don't think you've ever Dude. told me that, but 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 it it strikes me that you would have. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I mean, when I'm in Bonaventure, which is I'm fairly often, I've taken you there, you know, a number of times. I mean, sure. it, yeah. I mean, this is. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is like when I listen to this music, I hear. I hear Bonaventure and I hear those ghosts and I see those sad, sad oak trees, you know? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. A, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing, man. Well, uh, majestic and beautiful too. It's sort yep. of de- de- all death, of it. Yeah, death providing beauty, you know, the, yep. the, root, the roots of these trees go down into the dead, literally. And it's just this, this cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as obviously <laughs> Dax's lyrics from Acid Bath onward have, have always been uh, dark and revolving around aspects of death, uh, but also great life. Uh, I, I yep. think of all the times he mentions blood and blood is life giving. It's certainly yep. not, not life taking, of course, unless it's bloodletting. Yep. Um, but but I just yeah, I just he's yeah, we. <laughs> We could go on. Um, what I wanted to make, a, I wanted to make kind of a correction in my memory. And again, I don't know if this is interesting to anybody except for the most hardcore, the most hardcore Dax historian. But I now remember what happened. We were there by the time we got down to Homa and was vi- were visiting him uh, at his house. Uh, we were knowing that the music was changing in a way that we didn't really like. It, it was a hard pill to swallow because of course mm-hmm. we wanted to love it. Um, we met Tess, the drummer that came in um, that she was on the, the second dead boy album. She was just coming into his world at that time too. This is in 2000. We must've been there in 2004 because um, this is when things were really changing. And I remember uh, we were exhausted with rotten records uh, as a buyer at the end records. We were still selling shitloads of that dead boy album. That was one of the best sellers the whole seven or eight years. I was at the end mail order as a buyer. Uh, we, we sold so much and that was another link between Dax and us. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was that we got kind of tired of the whole rotten fight and uh, we gave up. And then I think a year or two later, and I'm exact on this now, I believe, is that they finally gave into Rotten and gave them the demos to release to get out of their contract. Mm. Uh, um, they didn't want to do that at all. They didn't want Rotten to have a fucking penny because actually Rotten owed them a, actually a ton of money from our accounting. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, didn't work out that way. They, they, they held their ground and Rotten kind of won out in the end. And um Anyway, that's that's the story as I remember. And then Fat, Fat Possum came in and signed Dax. Uh, so I just want to clear that up. I want to mention some songs we're not going to be playing from this whole era, this beautiful 2003. Definitely one that I want to mention, but you you go ahead. Well, hopefully, I have, yeah, hopefully I have, that's a part of your list. <laughs> I have three here. Uh, Blood Music, a.k.a. a song called Blood. How Long the Night Was. That's the one. Oh, yeah. And Spinning Song. Now, Blood Music and How Long the Night Was do appear on the second Dead Boy album, We Are Night Sky. Um, But uh, as we've said, we were so disappointed with that record. The only thing I love about it is the title and the artwork. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It has Um, its moments. Thankfully, and I don't know if it's too early to do this or if you would like to do this later, and we can certainly revisit it later, but the two solo records that he released after this were largely amazing oh we're we're going to talk about those because i'm glad that those exist as um 
as a rise, another ascension for him yep. uh, after after that disappointing second album. Yep. I also remember bring you know talking about uh, the end mail order. We brought in some We Are Night Sky, and it just didn't sell for shit. I mean, not we sold hundreds and hundreds of that first one, and in yep. any era, uh, selling that many for a mail order uh, was was remarkable. So I think there, I think that's a reflection a little bit of that we are night sky being pretty divisive and, and not really well loved um, it, it, it always struck me too as a very compromised record and as an attempt and i mean maybe i'm reading this wrong but it, it almost struck me as an attempt to capitalize on the like white stripes formula uh you just um, read I, my you read my notes <laughs> uh, i mean i i it, it, like Dax always had such a strong vision and identity. And for the first time, I thought, you know, maybe he's guided by, you know, more than than his own vision, his own music. And it was really, I, really disappointing for me in that regard. I agree. I, I And you sum it up perfectly. It didn't it seemed like a move that was a little more, you know, like calculated. It was a little more calculated than anything he's done, which was always so genuine and from the heart. Um, hard thing to judge without being him and and, and knowing for sure. But right, and uh, and and yeah, you. Thank you for that because but, I I would urge everyone to you know take what I said with a grain of salt because I have no idea if that's where he was, but in just you know in the cauldron of disappointment, I I read it like that. Yeah, sure. I mean, he brings in a, a female drummer that's so white stripes. You, you know, was it is it Meg in white stripes? Uh, right. And, and then Jack White, of course. I mean, they had the same configuration. And this was not the only duo that appeared at this time doing that configuration. This would this became kind of a little movement in stripped down. I don't know what you'd call it, garage rock style um, stuff. This was a thing. This is not the only time. And so, so doing something like that at this time, it did seem, as you said, calculated or just not, uh, didn't sort of jibe with the rest of the vision that he had laid down prior to that. I also remember, and I think we met Tess on that, on that she, she was, she had come in at one point to just practice one of those days. And the whole thing was weird because Shortly after we got home, you know, we we got from Dax, we got demos of Stop, I'm Already Dead. Uh, we got Kissed by Lightning, Misadventures of Dope. And I remember listening to these with Tanya. We were like, ooh, yeah, this is this is not what we had, had imagined. And, and I think that's one of the reasons this 2003, 2004 period is so special to you and I and probably many of his other fans is because it, it, even though it didn't come out in album form, this was a this was a major peak. This is this is his best vocals, his best songs. I just don't think there's any doubt of that. And no, um, no. so let's get into 2004 when the stuff was changing. We listened to Wicked Tongue and Nevermind the Scenery earlier. Um, this is another one from that era uh, that's demoed, not live. What the stars have eaten. Stars of Eden 
You know, we talk about these live songs, Evil Between the Numbers, Thing in a Jar, Fly in the Eye of the Lamb, a few more that we're going to play after this as being, yeah, what a great album that would have been. What a great second Dead Boy album that would have been. And then how they didn't do that and they jumped into that, for lack of a better phrase, the White Stripes-esque element of We Are Night Sky. But there's something in the middle here 
and I guess I haven't back to backed these things before the 2004 demos that we've listened to a little bit. And then this live stuff, because those are also very different. So there could have been a second dead boy album that would have not maybe been the evil between the numbers or the thing in the jars, but it would have been the, the wicked tongues and the, what the stars have eaten, which has a very, very different texture and feel to it. than mm-hmm. even this other live stuff we're playing, you know what I mean? So I would have, even though that would have been different and maybe not as good, it still would have been pretty great and a really cool uh, direction. And it seemed like he was really, you, you look at 2003, 2004, and then 2005 and six uh, with Tess, uh, Tessie on the drums. It was like, like he's going through a lot of different changes here at this time. Uh, and I mean, that, that was a particularly like richly textured song. Um, and I can only imagine that song in a you know a fully fleshed out studio version. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's that's another bummer. It's like I, I don't know. I feel like he was sort of hedging against his own impulses. Like you know, maybe maybe he wanted to. I mean, it, it clearly reveals an artist that has multiple interests, and maybe this is one of them. Yeah. And I wish that he had indulge this one and not the rather more you know commercial stripped down roots rock you know we are night sky version for sure and it's 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 just interesting how many stylistic directions he was playing with actually at this time and i never really you know kind of realized it until playing these uh one up against another um i say we jump to the live stuff again we're going to play two songs quiet doom from the Spanish moon in Baton Rouge, April 25th, 2003. And from that very same show, Stranger to Reason. This is a duo of high. <laughs> these, high are, these are two of my favorites. Top tier stuff yeah. right here. Yeah, yeah.
to reason. In my estimation, we could have done an entire episode on those two songs. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, uh... dude, and I remember you describing to me uh, Stranger to Reason for the first time before I ever heard it and saying there are these these wordless vocals that are completely transcendent. Yeah. And, and like just, yeah, just complete artistry without even the you know the the aid of of language yeah that's string. i mean he's stringing along this melody it's so it's a long phrase of melody and yeah as you say it's it's wordless and it's so emotional it's along with evil between the numbers i think that very moment is um a dax song that i could cry to if i give myself yeah. over yeah over yeah to it. I, I i may have i'm I can't recall exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's but even like I mean, just in, but the verbal parts too are incredibly powerful. I mean, like that every dead boy will do as he should. You know, yeah. strangers to reason in this season of blood. 
And I mean, obviously, we already referenced the uh, the iconic uh, Jelly Roll Morton. We'll talk about that a second. Yeah, talk about that a second. I mean, that, yeah, well, I mean, you talk about a lyric that has its its spiritual resonance in the the place of its gestation. Mm. I mean, Jelly Roll Morton. Yeah. Um, is as much a part of New Orleans as, you know, the, the po' boy or red beans and rice. And I mean, uh, Dax invokes his spirit in such a powerfully poetic and lyrical way. The ghost, um, the ghost of Jelly Roll haunts the speakers that you stole. It, yeah. That's <laughs> like, amazing. I mean, it is <laughs> one of the most inspired pieces of musical poetry that i can think of yep. really yeah i mean truly i mean it's you know it's like fucking walt whitman you know singing the blues here and not only is it like jelly roll haunting the speakers but you stole them and like that, that, <laughs> that. And there's like there's all the like the the transgression and decadence of new orleans just yep. all woven into that like oh, it, it just oh god i know I, I mean that that that's one for the ages man i i completely agree a couple songs from this period of 03 and 04 were revived and truncated in lesser form on his first solo album his first solo album is called we sing of only blood or love and i think that's his lips on the cover uh there is blood on them <laughs> really and- and here, here, yeah, well, I didn't know that. Well, it looks like it because I mean, he's got he's a he's a larger lipped fella. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say it. I mean, I don't, you know, no judgment. <laughs> it just look at pictures of Dax, but it looks like his it would be his lips. They look like male teeth for some reason more than female. Uh, but anyway, great cover, great great album title and again we we get a reference to blood um yep. and the and the songs that he was doing uh in the earlier era here that we were focusing on our spinning song and the next one we're, we're going to play the final one scarlet of heaven nor hell they appear in very truncated form on uh his first solo album which came out just a couple years after the second and final dead boy album and even though this stuff is shorter and more truncated, as is We Are Night Sky stuff, um, it was more satisfying because he was back to using his voice, back to soaring. And that's something we really haven't yeah. talked about simply because you can hear it. We don't need to tell yeah. you. Yeah. But the soaring and that channeling he does, it was back on these two soul albums. Uh, the second one was called uh, Say Goodnight to the World, and that came out in 2010. So did, back did it, yeah. was it 2009? Uh, nine or 10. I think it was nine. I I, I'm, I didn't mean to take us no, off track. No, don't you go getting technical on me now. Hey now, hey now, hell to son. <laughs> but but uh, this is the last we've heard of him. You know, yep. um, he was doing some touring around these albums. I remember him just never getting close enough uh, for me to go. But or I think I was out of town when he played. Um, I think he might have played Wilmington or something. But anyway, I just haven't. You know, it, he just dropped off. I have no idea where he's at. He's releasing no new music. I truly hope he's well and, and happy. Yeah, I worry too, about man. him. And because, um, be, you know, I guess you know, actually, if you just count Golgotha and Acid Bath all the way up to uh, 2009 or 2010 with that second solo album, uh, it's a lot of music that he that he put out and uh, a lot of emotional bloodletting and musical bloodletting that he gave us. And um, we really hope we've turned somebody on to uh, this beauty, this great art 
with this episode. As opposed hey, to- like seriously, anyone listening, if you have a friend that doesn't listen to our program, turn them on to to this. Pay it forward because um, <laughs> this, this is this is special stuff. Yeah, um, as a postscript, but something important is like, even though these songs can't be gotten and, and owned or they're not on an official release, uh, this is why we played a lot of them, well, all of them in their entirety. Uh, there are a few more on YouTube. Uh, there's a lot of delving you can do there. But if you want something close to it, you can get the first Dead Boy album, which was reissued as a Dax Riggs album by Fat Possum in 2008, which I never had a problem with that because, you know. I got a problem uh, with that. Yeah. You do have a problem with that. No, I don't. Okay, because I was going to say, I mean, it is a Dax Riggs album. You know, all all respect to we got to name these guys: Jason Dupree, uh, Jeff LeCompte, and Christopher Goat of Dead Boy, that marvelous first era of Dead Boy. You know, they obviously are still on it. I don't believe any of that was re-recorded, but they just decided. But let's throw it out as a Dax Riggs thing now that he's going as Dax Riggs. And Mm -hmm. as you say. It's, it's Dax Riggs. So <laughs> uh, Dax is the dead boy. Thank you for listening. We're going to leave with Scarlet of Heaven Nor Hell. Uh, this is another special one. Like I said, uh, it appears in a truncated form on his first solo album. This was also from the Grant Street Dance Hall, Lafayette, January 24th, 2004. Um, before we go, we just want to say our 88th episode, we will be digging deep into the three albums released by Russian band Hieronymus Bosch. When you do something like this Dax thing, you you have to go the polar opposite way the next time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but some really incredible and exciting and rather original death metal from this band who are, who are no more. So uh, join us then. And this is Scarlet of Heaven Nor Hell. Got this shadow in my shoes Got this blackness in my blues How can we
sky.